Welcome to Don't Look Now, the podcast with your hosts, Jenny McDonald and Will Hegeman coming to you this Tuesday with our random tales of the strange, interesting, historical, whatever the case may be. Jenny is always the keeper of our topic. I've got no idea what we're about to talk about. So as always, I got a big Jenny to give me some hints. So Jenny, shoot me some hints and see if I know anything about, about what we're about to discuss. What What's the deal? Well, this started with an internet rumor I heard. Okay. Because I do have some friends whose kiddos are of the age where they watch something on the internet and then they wholeheartedly believe that. Yeah. And then occasionally one of them will contact me and ask me if it's true. Yeah. And then I have to do some research and Google it. And then I get really pissed off because people are telling these things to these kids and they just wholeheartedly (laughs) believe. Yeah. So like an example of this is I think three years ago, there was a rumor on, I think it started on TikTok that when women got their periods, their skin fell off, like a whole mask would just fall off. (laughs) So one of my friend's kiddos sent me this video because I do reproductive health. And she was like, what, what is this? And I was like, girl, that is not true. That is a face mask that that girl or a face peel that is not Mm -hmm. as the result of this. And so now I've kind of gotten into this realm when my friend's kids send me something, I have to like dig deep and find supporting articles and like determine truth versus a lie. Nice. So this started I would like to kind of equate this episode to two truths and a lie. Okay. That's kind of the game we're playing on this one. All right. So something that has some general truth based to it, but there's something got added to it that's right. bullshit. All right. Uh, so we're going to think about a moral story yeah. that had some truth and some lie, and it's hmm. based on a nursery rhyme. What nursery rhyme would you pick? Ooh, nursery rhyme. Um, hmm. I don't know. Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty is a great one. It is not this current one. This one actually is based because recently a singer was on a late night TV show and did a viral version of this where he impersonated Cher singing this song. (laughs) Okay, I'll have to check this out, whatever it is, but I don't know if Cher singing any nursery rhymes, so I'm screwed. Um well, it wasn't Cher. It was a guy impersonating Cher yes. singing the nursery rhyme. Okay, all right. I thought it was... Yeah. Okay, all right. Cool. Yeah. But it sounds just like Cher. I'm going to be all rolling. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hickory Dickory Dock. Hickory Dickory Dock is a good one as well. I'm a, I'm probably just going to tell uh, you this yeah, one because it's it been a while since I've killed anybody. So this yeah. one is based on a serial killer. Oh, all right. One more huh. try. Serial killer. Think a little bit of Sweeney Todd in this one. Um, I don't know. Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater. No, Jack Spratt. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm at a loss. The Muffin Man. Oh, interesting. Yes. So Adam Lambert sings, I think it's on Jimmy Fallon. Um, okay. The version of, Cher, he like, is supposed to impersonate man. Cher singing the Muffin Man. And it's fabulous. <laughs> it's, do you know the Muffin Man? Like, <laughs> you people. I'll just send you a link later. It's good stuff. So 
The nursery rhyme goes, do you know the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man, the Muffin Man? Do you know the Muffin Man who lives on Drury Lane? Now, if you listen to the Adam Lambert version, it's absolutely glorious with the whole share backup and everything. Fabulous. So the story is, and like I said, it blew up on TikTok after Adam Lambert went viral singing this version of Muffin Man. Mm -hmm. That people are like, do you know the real story of the Muffin Man? And these people don't. I'm just going to put that out there. This is the lie. (laughs) All right. So tell us, tell us about the muffin man that lives on Drury Lane. Yeah. Um, The true story of the muffin man, true in quotation marks, obviously, Mm -hmm. is that he was the first serial killer in 16th century London. Hmm. Now, some sources do insist that he's not just this innocuous figure from a children's story, but perhaps... He's the prolific murderer by the name of Frederick Thomas Linwood. Hmm. His MO is that he lured victims by pulling a muffin down the road on a string. And that's how he got his name, the Muffin Man. (laughs) That's horrifying, but also something straight out of a Three Stooges cartoon. So, you know, there's something a little too ridiculous about that story for me. Like people may have been desperate in Victorian times, but I doubt that they would have wanted to eat the food off of the ground. Personally, that's my thought, but whatevs. So let's start with where where did the Muffin Man come from? So this, hi, Carmen. This story is a 16th century serial killer, right? Yeah. The thing is, is that the Muffin Man was originally written down in 1820. Okay. And it was written as a call and response rhyme. So it would be, do you know the Muffin Man? No, do you know the Muffin Man? Yes, I know the Muffin Man. He's the guy that lives on Drury. You know, like it was kind of a game. So the Museum of London has like a copy of it where they know, um, I guess the original version is in the Bodleian at Cambridge. Hmm. Cambridge? It's in the Bodleian. Um, So 19th century London, we're looking at like what actually was taking place during this period of time, right? Yeah. So in this time and place, Street people, not street people, people would often buy food from street sellers. So like you would, that's how you went to market. It wasn't like a store you went into, you went up and you got your stuff. And people worked really long days, like 12 hour days. And most of them lived in tenements. They didn't have the access to their own kitchens. So they had to buy food on the street every single day. Um, So rather than try to cook over an open fire outside, they would just pick up a meal from one of the city's many vendors. So they had access to things like muffins, eels, soups, baked potatoes, meat pies, which is what I was trying to get the Sweeney Todd reference, but it wasn't working for me. Um, But the alleged story of the muffin man would have taken place a couple hundred years prior to when it was actually written down. So this was, like I said, about the serial killer by the name of Frederick Thomas Linwood. And I generally try not to kill people every episode. It's been a really long time. So I feel like I'm allowed <laughs> to kill some people in this episode. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. Um, so supposedly he killed more than a dozen people, including children, by luring them to their death with these muffins. So the original rhyme doesn't provide a lot of details. It really just has to do with, do you know who he is? He lives down here. Is that the guy that you know? That's the guy that has the muffins. Mm-hmm. Um, but It's possible that Frederick Thomas Linwood was a pastry chef who killed his rivals and children. He was also dubbed the Drury Lane Dicer. 
He was supposedly the earliest documented serial killer. According to this version of the urban legend, he was never caught by the police, uh, but he did die in 1612 by choking on a dumpling. Interesting. Right. And I want to know what a dumpling meant in 16th century London, England. Like, what is that? <laughs> was it a, a gnocchi? <laughs> what yeah, what yeah. is this? <laughs> but, your, right. Your potato dumpling, yeah. Is it a potato dumpling? Yeah, I want to know more about this. Yeah. So, according to the legend, between 18, or 1589 and 1598, he lived on Drury Lane. Um, he became known as the Muffin Man or the Drury Lane Dicer. And like I said, he supposedly killed 15 people. So the children's song, um, which this is the claim from the TikTok where this whole yeah. shenanigan started. The children's song claims that, or sorry, the children's song claims a TikToker was made to warn small children to help small children identify this guy by his MO so they can report him to authorities if they stumble upon a muffin being drugged through an alleyway. Yeah. They don't eat muffins being drugged through an alleyway. Well, <laughs> beware. Right. So the way that he murdered people was using a sharpened wooden spoon as his weapon of choice. That's a little horrifying. Right. So there's issues with this story because, like I said, it's kind of like two truths and a lie. Um, First things first, the timeline doesn't work. Uh, Baker started delivering bread to residents in the 1800s, long after his killing spree. So likely he wouldn't have been delivering. Like, that just doesn't work. Second, the theory claims that he murdered with a wooden spoon. But if you look at wooden spoons, it would have to be a honking wooden spoon to be able to murder somebody with. So, like, forensic experts don't think that that's possible to actually murder somebody with a regular wooden spoon. Yeah. So I was wondering with sharpened wooden spoon, if they're just like sharpening the dowel in, so it's just a stabber. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's like a stick, but yeah. even then it, it would have to be pretty robust for it to yeah. not bust off in half. Yeah. Especially somebody fighting you like a child. They're pretty strong when they want to be. Finally, there's no evidence of this. There's no stories. There's no historical record of Frederick Thomas Linwood existing during this period of time. Um, you can find on the internet mugshots of the so-called muffin man, but here's the thing. Uh, photographs didn't exist at this time period. So those are obviously <laughs> fake, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you look at Snopes, what, what's the truth, right? Yeah. So there is a Drury Lane in London. Here's one of our two truths, right? Yeah. Um, but there's nothing to suggest that Lynn would ever existed. There's yeah. absolutely no record of him. And also interestingly enough, that he's, not the first recorded serial killer because first off there's a real issue worldwide about announcing that you have a serial killer on the premises. Mm-hmm. However, England has this really interesting distinction of having the first serial killer in London be a woman. There you go. How rare is that? Yeah. Right? So let's go for the real truth. That first serial killer was actually a woman by the name of Marianne Cotton. I've heard that name. Yeah. So let's go murder a bunch of people, Will, with Miss Marianne Cotton. So she did take place during that mid-Victorian era. During this period of time, she poisoned a string of her husband's for insurance money and 11 of her own children. So in 1872, she wanted to get married for the fifth time. 
Um, I think it's pretty miraculous that she had found five husbands at this point in time <laughs> and that none of them were alarmed by the fact that her previous five hu- or previous four husbands had all died under mysterious circumstances. And she was forced to watch over her old, her seven-year-old stepson who now was kind of like the thorn in her side to get remarried. Mm-hmm. And he was well aware of the fact that like, this lady had a shady past because he would tell anybody that asked, like, don't worry, I won't be her problem for too long. <laughs> She's going to kill me. <laughs> and then unsuspectingly, this little kid died. Everybody was super shocked by this. Um, and people were kind of like, oh, my God, this is so surprising. Why, how could someone related to this woman end up dead in this poor sweet baby, <laughs> right? Yeah. So the cops were like, I guess we better open an investigation. Also, let me just stop and talk about for a second. How many people were dying during this period of time that none of this had raised red flags previously? Yeah. So they do an autopsy and discover that the little boy had arsenic in his system. And then, like, at this point, the cops were like, hey, isn't this the same lady who's had, like, four husbands die? Should we look into that? Because, like, a bunch of her husbands have died under weird circumstances And I think some of her kids have too. We should look into that. Hmm. It took like seven people to die for them to recognize something was wrong. So soon they're like, wow, we might be dealing with a serial poisoner. Poisoning is really common for women killers. Yeah. um, The theory from psychology is that they leave less of a mess by poisoning people than they do with violent deaths. Still an extremely violent way to die. So if we pull back, she ultimately kills 16 children and five men before they catch her. Wow. So 1856, um, or sorry, 1832, she's born in Durham County, England, and she worked as a nurse and a dressmaker before she gets married to William Mowbray in 1852. She's, what, 30 or 20 years old at this point. But unfortunately, four years later, the family has a big tragedy. Four of their five children die of gastric fever. Yeah, That's really sad. She didn't probably do that. I don't know what gastric fever is, but I doubt that's her. That sounds arsenic-like, though. It sounds like the flu, though, too. Like Yeah, but gastric is definitely, because arsenic really is a major gastric issues and things like that. So, Right. Mm. It's still so special. Excuse me, I'm ice on my drink. So the husband is so bummed about this, but also super worried because, like, if their children can die that easily what he wants to do is try to take care of himself now remember i said they got married in 1852 and it was Mm -hmm. 1856 they had lost bunches four of their five four of five children yeah they were only married for four years the math ain't math in here anywho um they purchased a life insurance policy that covers the husband and the three surviving children math ain't math and still but that's okay Mm -hmm. we're gonna move on this is one of those ones where like every source tells you a different number of kids survived. So I just yeah. went with it at one point. So in the 1860s, the worst fear comes true. He and two of the kiddos pass from gastric fever. Mary Ann Cotton collects the insurance money, left her surviving child with her mother, and then gets married to another man. This man by the name of George Ward. Less than a year later, he's dead. She gets another insurance payout. Really financially quite pleasing, I would assume. <laughs> She doesn't stay single long because, you know, she's got a system now. 
1867, she gets married for the third time to James Robinson. And with him, she's like, you know what? These Victorian times are rough. You need a life insurance policy. And he's like, no, you know what? I don't. I already had four children die. I'm not super worried about it. And she's like, I want a divorce. (laughs) I'm not going to stay married to you if you're not taking basic cautions in life. So they get the marriage ends and he survives. Her next husband, she gets married to in 1870. She convinces him, though, that he has to have a life insurance policy. So when he passes, she gets his life insurance money. She's pregnant, though, with a fifth man's child. But that man dies Hmm. under suspicious circumstances. Yeah. So she's pretty shrewd in her crimes. She uses arsenic, which mimics symptoms of gastric fever, just like you say. And before the 1830s, it's pretty difficult to detect arsenic poisoning until someone developed a test to detect it. So it starts to show that arsenic poisoning is actually really common in Victorian era. (laughs) Everybody's offing each other, yeah. So there's a lot of people that come in contact daily with it, with work or it's in items and Mm -hmm. like toys have it. Wallpaper has it. Baby carriages have arsenic. Everything has arsenic in it. So in 1858, when she was still married to her first husband, like 15 people had died from eating candies that had been uh, contaminated with arsenic in the Bradford Sweet poisoning incident. So like... It was just common. This happened. And people didn't really think much of it like someone doing it intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. So as a result, there were a ton of accidental poisonings that just kind of happened. Um, but over time, when t- over 20 poisonings happen in your house <laughs> and you're fine, it starts yeah. to look a little sus, right? Yeah, just a bit. Just, just, a, just a smidgen. Um, and Obviously, when they investigate it, they're like, oh, oops, we missed (laughs) something here. So Marianne Cotton, who's this widow, is in custody in West Auckland. She was charged with having poisoned her stepson um, and potentially three husbands and 15 children, as well as two lodgers who had all died while living in her home. So her trial begins in 1873 after she gives birth to her last kiddo in prison. During the trial, prosecution laid out evidence that the first husband died, oh, that the little kiddo died of gastric fever due to drinking poison tea. And her defense is like, no, 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 I can't afford to replace the wallpaper in the house. I bet it was the wallpaper. Is he licking the wallpaper? And then they're like, but okay, so let's say it is the wallpaper in this case. What about the other like two dozen people that you murdered? Yeah. And she's like, no, I definitely didn't do that. So the police were like, we got you. So they exhumed the body of one of her lovers who died shortly before this little kid died. And they found unmistakable symptoms of arsenic poisoning. And she, of course, you know, they're interviewing her in the paper at the time because penny dreadfuls were super common. And she's like, I'm not guilty. I was misled. I'm an angel. I would never do this. This is my family. And the jury, of course, looks at this and they deliberate. Guess how long they deliberated for? Um, 45 minutes. How's that? Pretty damn close. One hour. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's always like the 50-50, right? It's either going to be weeks or hours. Yep. Yep. So they took one hour and they're like, girl, you are guilty as sin. You're going down this time. 
So March 24th, 1873, um, she was hanged for her crimes. And a journalist describes the scene as Mrs. Cotton, who scowly, scowled and fear, nope, scowled fiercely. Hard, uh, with an air of defiance at the crowd, who muttered constantly but indistinctly, took her place with pretty remarkable composure. I can't imagine. So she's standing on the platform, scowling mm-hmm. at the crowd, muttering shit to herself, like, I will find you. I will come <laughs> after you. And then stood there and was like, come at me, bro. And that was it. She wasn't the first English woman sent to the gallows by any measure. Um, A century earlier, Mary Blandy had also been executed for poisoning someone with arsenic. But it was really interesting because a lot of like FBI profilers don't believe that female serial killers actually exist. Hmm. And it's obviously we have female serial killers throughout history you've got elizabeth bathory you've got um monster lady um, yeah warnos i guess is- yes eileen warnos like they exist they're just more rare because yeah. they tend to use and they're not necessarily more rare they just use methods that are harder to track yeah um men are yeah, much they- more violent overt killers women are much more secretive yeah you tend to have more yeah the Florence Nightingale or whatever the, you know, nurses that off their patients and all yeah. those kinds of things. Angels, angels of, of angel death. death. Angels yeah, that's, of that's the term yeah. I was looking for. And even then, some of those are men. Yeah. Because I just watched um, a documentary about that last week. So today, psychologists point out that female serial killers have different types of targets and motives from male serial killers. So a lot of female serial killers first target their own families, mostly kill for money which mm-hmm. is accurate from what the number of serial killers, money and prestige, essentially. So she was only officially ever convicted to the death of her stepson, Charles. But like I said, we think the number of victims was probably around 21 people. Yeah. She never really got that notoriety though of other serial killers in the London time period. Like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Check the river. Yeah. Yeah who was also happening around that period of time. Um, But there are some parallels. So here's another one of those two truths. Drury Lane in London might have been a substitute for Dorset Lane in London. So that Muffin Man story comes back full circle again, right? Yeah. So there are some parallels from where she was the first serial killer in this area. And she was killing in the Dorset Lane region. And it had a lot to do with Drury Lane because it's often substituted. Now, there's more Jack the Ripper connections because that seemed to be the bigger story at the time. Mm -hmm. So you can also say like, yeah, Marianne Cotton did kill people in this same area at the same time as the original Muffin Man story. But there was a lot going on, too, with the Jack the Ripper story. He, however, was very real. And there is a lot of lot of information about Jack the Ripper. And I intend yeah. to destroy our podcast one month and do that. But <laughs> it'd be fun. Yeah. So do we know the Muffin Man? Nope. Is he real? <laughs> I don't know. But if we talk about Victorian England and just pump right into that little rabbit hole, right? Mm-hmm. So 
because I'm sure I'm going to get on a Jack the Ripper like tangent at some point in the near future in the next year. I think we should probably know what's happening in Victorian England. So Victorian England, the Victorians were the people who lived during the reign of Queen Victoria. Um, and that's between 1837 until 1901. So Jack the Ripper is right in the middle of that time period. Um, it's an era of a lot of exciting discoveries, invention, and it follows the Industrial Revolution. Mm-hmm. So during this period of time, Britain expanded territory around the world, becoming the largest, richest, most powerful empire in world history. And a quarter of the world's population lived in this empire. Queen Victoria was even considered the Empress of India at one point. This is that colonization yeah. crap. Yep. Um, today, we look back at this period of time, and it's pretty shitty what they did to people as they took over. Indigenous people were really unfairly treated by the invading British. And over time, the empire breaks down and countries regain their independence. However, that being said, you've got a lot of really new inventions that are pretty cool. Things like the telephone, motor car, typewriter, bicycle, and moving film uh, changes the way that people live, work, and travel. And in 1856, you have the invention of turning iron into steel. So they could build better ships and bridges and structures and quicker and stronger and cool stuff, right? Then you get that expansion of the railway. So people are traveling faster, further, and that's pretty amazing um, because cities like London, Glasgow, and Manchester are all now connected. So prior to trains, the fastest mode of transport was horses. So what went from a two or three day trip now suddenly is a day or less, which is pretty fantastic and even still the train system overseas is fantastic it is nice we took advantage yeah it's fantastic the other thing that you find during this period of time is that people will leave the countryside so it's for the first time in world history you have more people living in the cities than in the countryside and so the city centers were really really cramped This is really important to a lot of Victorian era stories because I don't Mm -hmm. think people understand how cramped this is. Yeah, that's pretty gross. Yeah. The apartment buildings were sometimes 14 stories or taller and were absolute crap. They were built just like thrown up, complete fire hazards. And an apartment didn't mean that you had like an apartment, like a little house. You had a room. Yeah. You shared a bathroom with 20 other people if you were lucky to have a bathroom. Otherwise, you had a chamber pot. Chamber pots were thrown into the street. Mm-hmm. In Scotland, they actually outlawed any buildings being built higher than a specific building because they had so many tenements that burned down with people that died in them. Yeah, Like the thought of someone stringing a muffin along the street and someone chasing that and wanting to eat it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> horrifies me. Yeah. Whoa. Anyhow. Um. So, yeah, a lot of these houses were overcrowded, extremely disgusting smelling and in really bad repair. Despite the fact that this is a really big political power at the time, a lot of people had really hard lives. Um, as technology advanced and new machines were created, a lot of people were left without jobs. So they resorted to working in workhouses, which provided basic relief. So they got things like medical care and shelter in exchange for labor, mm-hmm. um, but terrible conditions. Yeah. I think the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, like, they shoved as many people in and locked them in basically and worked them to death and their yep. families were separated. 
So it was during this period of time that things like the Salvation Army was established. Um, and that just did the bare minimum and fed people and looked after the poorest of children in orphanages, which were horrific places at the time. And then you've got Victorian era children who worked longer hours than adults for even less money. And their jobs were way more dangerous and the conditions yeah. were way worse because um, they they could fit into a lot tighter spaces that adults couldn't. So yeah. they were put into factories and coal mines and chimneys. Yeah, running around getting those bobbins and getting caught in horrible stuff. So, yeah. Right. Um, but interestingly enough, this during this period of time, prior to this, most of Britain's population couldn't read or write and had access to limited education. But Queen Victoria was very pro-education and thought everybody should have it. So towards the end of her reign, she insisted all children had to go to school, no matter if they were rich or they were poor. Yeah. Which is a really interesting, like, value placement for these kids. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and during this period of time, and now that you've got people reading that never read before, reading was no longer just for learning. So you started to get a lot of really cool books like Alice in Wonderland and Jungle Book and Treasure Island. So this is the story of Victorian England. Yeah. Keep it in mind because I'm I'm sure other things will come up because this seems to be a period of time I talk about quite frequently. It's an interesting time. So, yeah. Hate. Yeah. Yep. Well, cool. That's an interesting story. I, I, yeah. Once you mentioned the Muffin Man, I remember hearing that rumor somewhere. But, yeah. It's crazy that it was all pretty much just made up in terms of this random you person know, from the you know 1400s or 1500s or something. But yeah, it's funny because the the song itself is cool. Like it could have enough historical meaning to be cool on its own, just to talk yeah. about muffin people being important at that period of time. Yeah, to then add the weird story of a serial killer to it, just as interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yep. But yeah, no, very cool. And as always, yeah, thanks for thanks for the story. Uh, thank you for everybody for uh, checking us out this week. You know, as always, uh, give us a rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends about us, and uh, we will see you all in a week. Bye, bye, folks. <laughs>